0: Welcome and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. This is our fourth week in First Corinthians, the longest letter that we have in the in the epistles, and uh, this. Again, I'm I'm not going to do a full review of everything that we have read so far. I'll just say that uh, by all indications, Paul had already written one letter to them because he refers to it. We refer to this as 1 Corinthians because it's the one 1 Corinthians letter we have in our Bible. But he refers to another letter that they had sent him, or that he had sent them. And he's also clearly uh, answering questions, specific questions that they had asked him via a letter. So he's sitting there with their letter uh, saying, hey, we've got this situation. What should we do? People are asking about this practice. What should we do? And they're asking some tough stuff that he's responding to. And some of the stuff he's already responded to are things like marriage and divorce. Uh, what is the right way to approach uh, the issue of sex in the church? What's, what's right? What's wrong? What's legitimate? What's not? Uh, he's also uh, going to answer questions about meat sacrifice to idols Uh, A number of things. Last week, as a matter of fact, we we finished up some tricky stuff concerning marriage and divorce. Uh, We had already talked about sexual purity and sexual sin. And uh, I will do a little bit more of a developed review next time. But, as I think I mentioned last week, the transition from what we were just talking about into his next subject is a pretty stark transition. He's got these deep things to say about uh, sex and marriage and divorce, and then the very next, and it's very funny to me, still, uh, again, I think as I mentioned, that when you remember that this isn't written in chapter and verse, he's just writing one long letter, so he goes, he starts talking about the right way to to handle marriage uh, under this present distress, and then the very next line is, "...now concerning things offered to idols." We know that we all have knowledge, knowledge puffs up, but loves, love edifies. That's 1 Corinthians 8.1, meaning here we go. Now I'm going to talk about this. They, now, I'm not going to talk much about it today because we hit this issue pretty hard in Romans. Uh, remember when it came up in Romans? When he, when he was talking about what the, you know, the, the right way to handle our liberty. You know, Paul, the center, central message of Romans is what? You're saved by grace. You're saved by grace through faith. Uh, He spent a lot of time arguing against the fact that whether you're a Jew or not makes absolutely no difference in how we come to Christ. The Jew comes to Christ and the Gentile comes to Christ or, or comes to God, achieves righteousness, receives righteousness the same way. It is only through the finished work of Christ for all of us. Then... He goes to talk uh, for a little bit about, in light of that, in light of the fact that we've received this great salvation as a gift, here's how we ought to live. He talks about how we live under human government, but he also talks about how we live in love, walking in love with one another, correct Christian fellowship. And one of the points he hammers is, look, we've established that I don't get saved, you don't get saved by keeping any particular laws. And in fact, a lot of these laws, these ceremonial laws, really don't count anymore when it talks about clean and unclean things to eat. But don't let your liberty become a "what?" A stumbling block for somebody with a weaker conscience. Now, th- again, this is a hard one for us to, to really relate to, because we don't think about it in terms, but the bit in these terms, but the big issue for a lot of these Christians. Uh, particularly of a Jewish background was: Is it okay to eat meat that was used as some part of a ceremony or sacrifice to an idol? And I've described the scenario before uh, for you before in the marketplace. You know there were temples, little mini temples. You could stop in. You could bring your uh, your animal to offer sacrifice for your sin, and the priest of these uh, idols these false gods, would perform their little ceremony. They'd slap the meat on a burner, and the smoke was offered up as a pleasing aroma to whatever god they were worshiping, and then the people would go on their merry way. Well, now they've got this meat there that uh, they would essentially toss over the wall, and, the next, and, and, and on the other side of the wall, there's a restaurant, and somebody slices up this meat that had just been used and uh, cooked, offered as a burnt offering. They slice it up and serve it, feed it to people. And the Jews were very troubled by this. We shouldn't yet has been tainted by false worship. Now, what, where Paul lands on this, and, and, and I'm in Corinthians now, not just Romans, is, look, the gods they're sacrificing to, the gods they're sacrificing to, are not gods at all. This is just meat, and it's just been cooked. There's really nothing wrong with this meat. However, says Paul, I'm very sensitive to the fact that it bothers a lot of people. My conscience is clean concerning this. I'm not bothered by it. But I'm not going to let my clear conscience bother somebody else. If it bothers you, I won't eat it. And this is what Paul is telling us. If it's going to bother your brother, don't eat it. Don't do it. Because they're bothered by it. At the very least, what Paul is saying is, uh, well, certainly don't exercise your liberty in the presence of, Of somebody who's bothered by it all right I'm not sure Paul is saying look don't ever you know what he says is I'll never eat meat again well eating meat was not the issue eating meat sacrificed to idols was the issue and I'm not so sure he's saying you can never touch this stuff he's saying if you don't let it be a stumbling block to others and so at the very least what he's saying is when you're walking with a brother who you know has a conscience that convicts him of this don't say, hey, let's stop into this restaurant when you know and he knows that they're serving meat that's been sacrificed to idols. It's going to trouble him. It's, it's, it's not the love walk is what he's saying. So don't do it in their presence don't, and don't boast about your liberty. Don't rub their, and you know, why, why are you so hung up on that? I can eat all the bacon I want. I can eat all the meat sacrificed to idols I want. What's your problem? Why can't you just get free? Just let God work on them. You enjoy your liberty don't flaunt your liberty. I won't go into it again. I still think probably the closest thing we have to uh, uh, an anal- you know, something that's analogous to that in our society is probably the issue of alcohol. People, there are many believers who feel they have the freedom to drink. Uh, I don't like to engage them in arguing. You shouldn't either. But if you are among those, uh, I'm not arguing with you either. I'm saying don't flaunt your liberty don't tempt somebody else who you know is troubled by it and don't flaunt it by putting it on facebook hey, hey, hey knowing and you should know that it's going to bother some people okay we've talked about it before i don't think we need to go on and on about that and you need to know it's going to come up again this issue he'll hit this issue again at least in galatians and colossians all right so we'll we'll revisit it from time to time now Let's read in chapter 9, because there's a lot in here that's, uh, that's pretty meaty. It's pretty good. It's not super complicated, but, but I think it's, it'll do us good to read it, and we do have time to do it. So let's just begin in verse 1 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, I am yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war his, whoever goes to war at his own expense. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same thing also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Now, Paul is confronting a number of things here. I think kind of at the heart of it is he feels like the, the Corinthian church is not honoring him for his apostleship. Now, Paul knows he's an apostle. He, he knows, and, and the apostolic ministry continues. But can, let's save a discussion of that until we get to Ephesians where he talks about those things. Uh, but Paul... Uh, for the purposes of this discussion, if we're, if we're using Apostle, I would say capital A Apostle, one who has had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's only, uh, Paul really distinguishes himself from the other, from the 12, being that his personal encounter with Jesus Christ came post-resurrection. The rest of them all knew him before his crucifixion. Paul only met Jesus after the resurrection. But he was certainly given this, uh, the anointing and the ministry of a super apostle, super effective apostle. And he did some great apostolic work, so very, very notably in Corinth. Paul went thousands of miles in the known world, in the civilized world. He preached the gospel many, many towns, many, many cities, started many, many churches. But he spent a year and a half in Corinth. He lived there, worked with these people, raised up this church by hand. So he's got a real vested interest in this. Them and the Ephesians, he had both, he had uh, really strong ties to both of these churches, very personal ties. And so he's saying, look, you know, some people are honoring me as an apostle, some people are calling me this. Uh, but even if I'm not, even if I don't have a strong apostolic connection to these other places, I sure do with you. I've poured my life into you. And he says, says, and yet what I see is that you are hindering me from enjoying some of the fruits of this. And one of the first things he talks about is the eating and drinking. He's like, you're going to slap these these laws on me. You're going to hinder my enjoyment of life, even though I've got the freedom to do it. And he's saying, and I'll forego these freedoms because I love you. And what about a believing wife? Now, here's Paul, who just got done saying... You know, in view of this present distress, look at the, the persecution that we're under at this moment in time. If you're not married, probably just as good an idea to stay single. It's going to cause you to be concerned not only for your own self, but now you're going to take on uh, the, the extra care of raising a family, pleasing your spouse, and time is short. We need to be single-minded about the things of the kingdom. However, he says, he said two things. If you're married, marriage is great. Marriage is a gift, is a gift from God. Enjoy it. Be married. Stay married. Don't use this present distress as an excuse to get out of your marriage. Marriage is holy. And then he talks about, you know, again, goes back to, he says, I just think in view of everything, all things being equal, it's easier to serve God single-mindedly if you are single. But, he stresses, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. So, again, I kind of get the impression that, eh, Paul could take it or leave it. And yet here... He's kind of hinting that, hey, one of the reasons I've taken this attitude is because you have placed such demands on me that you would be offended if I took a wife. I'm supposed to pour myself so completely into the ministry that you think I should not have a wife. And isn't that an interesting verse in light of certain uh, branches of Christianity that won't allow their ministers to marry? He he mentions Peter. He's considered the first pope. And Peter has a wife. That's Cephas. And he says, Cephas, that's Peter. All right? I'm not, I'm not up here to bash Catholics. I'm just saying verses like this kind of make me scratch my head about certain things. All right? Uh, but he's like, yeah, we say, I don't have a... Oh, Peter can have a wife. These other apostles can, can have a wife. But I can't. Barnabas can't. Why? Oh, because you need us to be fully committed to you. He says, we have been. We've been totally committed to you. And then he starts talking about the expense of this. You know, a guy goes to war. Now, is there... What's the... When we want to picture somebody going off to war, we want to picture the purest motives. I'm going to defend my country. I'm going to defend my family. I'm going to defend my nation's way of life. But the fact is, many, many, many people have gone to war over the years to pay the bills. Haven't they? And now, is it still an honorable thing? You better believe it is. There's some people who'd rather starve. But Paul's saying, when it, when it, even, when, no matter what the motives are, whether they're going for king and country, God and country, family, or to pay the bills, they don't do it at their own expense. Somebody pays them. And somebody who, is, uh, who tends a flock, not just the owner of the flock, but the tender of the flock, gets to drink of the milk of the flock. And then he pulls an Old Testament example out where it says, don't muzzle the ox. While it threshes, even the animals who are doing the work are allowed to eat along the way. I had a guy, uh, my predecessor, I was a director, ministry director at uh, Canaan Land, uh, exalted position of of, uh, resident director, that was the title, uh overseeing these guys in, at this drug and alcohol rehab home it wasn't a rehab home but it was a ministry to men with life controlling problems most of you know that i'm not gonna tell the whole story but my predecessor brian very very smart guy learned a lot from him and we were talking about things that uh uh you know what uh, this very thing about what's uh, the high calling you know and, and i was uh saying you know i think you know if before a man is qualified to preach, before he's qualified to take a ministry job, he he needs to know in his heart that he would do and be happy serving God in any arena, whether it's the occupational ministry or not. He said, I agree. I said, how would you respond, Brian, if God told you in a dream tonight, he wanted you to quit this job and go work at McDonald's? And his immediate response was, he'd say, I'd say, don't muzzle the ox. (laughs) Meaning I'm going to eat all the hamburgers and french fries I want to eat. So... For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And we know, he says, it's, we know it's not oxen that God is concerned about. And then he points out that in the Old Testament, the priesthood, those who were doing the work of the ministry in the temple, the ones who just like, very similar to these false idols that Paul's talking about in the street here earlier, the priests who performed these ceremonies for the Israelites Guess what? They got to eat that grain offering. They got to drink that wine. They got to eat that meat that was sacrificed to God, the stuff that was left over. That's where they got their food. And they got paid for their service. Paul says this is a principle that goes way back when. And then he he basically wraps it up by saying God has ordained that those who preach the gospel ought to get their living from the gospel. That's why your pastor gets a paycheck. All right? That's my defense. Yes, I know, I only work Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, but God has ordained that those who preach the gospel should get their living from the gospel. <laughs> I, there was a kid, I'm not going to say who it was, and, and it's many, many years ago. Most of you would not remember who this kid was, and he's not here anymore. But he, he said, I think he was probably 10 or 11 years old, and he was uh, shocked and offended to find out that... Dad got paid to be pastor of this church. And he said, Why? What's he do besides preach for a little while on Sunday mornings? I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember exactly what he said. Like the kid, now I'm thinking, when I heard, I didn't hear him say it, I heard that he said it. But I'm thinking, now, where does a kid get that idea if it doesn't come from their parents? All right? So be careful, parents. Train your children to honor those to whom honor is due, specifically me, all right? I'm just saying, I, 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 uh, well, let me, I'll, I'll save what I'm going to say until we read what Paul says next, because I want to echo some of it, all right? Well, let's read on in uh, verse 15, but I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so for me, For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Who does that sound like? Remember Jeremiah? It's like a fire shut up on my bones. What's Paul saying here? I'm going to preach the gospel no matter what. It's not like this has been laid on me. It's like, oh, I have to preach the gospel. Well, if I'm going to do it, I better get paid for it. That's what he's saying. He's am going to preach the gospel anyway. I'm not saying this to say, hey, if you want me to keep preaching the gospel, you better pay me. All he's really saying is, you should have. You should have. Okay? For if I do this uh, willingly, where I'm in verse 17, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Again, he's not saying, He's still saying, you should have paid me. He's saying, but you should have paid me without me charging you. You should have blessed me so that I didn't have to make tents the whole time I was pouring myself into your life. But there was no way I was going to give you a bill for my services. All right? Uh, Let's pick it up in 19. 19. Uh, and we really can get through this. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I become as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I become as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. This is a very famous passage. And taken out of context, it's been used to do all sorts of crazy stuff. Why do I hang out in the bars? Because that's where my friends are, and I can't reach them unless I'm in there drinking with them, or partying with them, or doing whatever. That's not what Paul's saying at all. He's saying with regards to the law. He says, when, in other words, let's keeping it in context. He just got done talking about eating meat sacrificed to idols. He's got freedom, but he knows he knows because he's raised a legalistic Jew. He knows the way to reach the Jews, is not to go in there and say, hey, guess what? We don't have to observe these laws anymore. Watch me eat this pork. Watch me eat this meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Arrgh, isn't it good? Don't you want this? He, he's just going to offend them. He's going to drive them away. So he says, you know what? When I'm in the company of Jews, I'm going to observe their laws. And I'm going to obey their conscience. Not, he says, Up, not, I'm not going to disobey what christianity tells me what christ tells me to do all right i'm not going to buy their doctrine but i'm going to practice my christianity in a way that respects where they are i mentioned a couple who were classmates i don't know if they were classmates of mine i heard this story uh, from somebody who uh who had either was either in my class they just simply weren't named or they were or they had just graduated when i was at rama who were a couple from india they came to live in the United States. They they were they they were recent converts from Hinduism. They felt called. They came to Rama in Tulsa, and they were going to go back to preach, and his parents uh, were so offended that he had lived in America for two years. They said, "You can't come back here. Why not?" He said, "Because you have eaten beef." And you know, of course, they they. These were among the, I'm not saying all Hindus all believe the same thing, but these were those who were very, very uh, adamant. I don't know if they were full-on vegetarians or if they just didn't eat beef, but they just assumed since they had lived in America that they'd been stuffing their face with hamburgers all all these years and that they were unclean. But he was able to tell his parents, no, I haven't. I haven't touched it. I have purposely left that out of my diet so that I could come back and be accepted by your sister. He did that. He knew he was free to, but so that he could win those in that, where, where the place where he was called to, he wasn't going to do it. So, when Paul says, you Now I'm ministering to those without the law, it'll be a different approach. Another way of looking at it is this there was a program, uh, it's probably still there. It's, a, it's an evangelistic outreach program called The Way of the Master. Has anybody seen it? Kirk Cameron and uh, who's the other guy? Ray, uh, Ray Comfort. It's really cool. And it's it's very effective in certain circumstances, but it basically starts like this: uh, they'll go up, they'll do this on the street, and I've seen them. You know, I've seen a dozen of these things where they actually film it. They'll go up to people on the street. Hey, can I ask you a question? Are you interested in spiritual things? Yeah, kind of. Do you consider yourself a good person? Yes. Uh, do you think that? Uh, do you believe in heaven? And uh, yes, I do. Uh, well, uh, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Yes. Why do you think that? Well, because I'm a good person, really. Uh, do you know what Jesus said? He said, "If you've uh, if you've um, uh, had lust in your heart. If you've ever looked at a woman uh, to lust after her, you've committed adultery. Have you ever done that? Well, yeah. What's, then what's the Bible say? Well, it says you're an adulterer, doesn't it? Yes, it does. The Bible says if you have hate in your heart, if you call your brother a fool, you're a murderer. Uh, have you ever murdered anybody? No. Have you ever called somebody a fool and had hate in your heart? Yes, then you're a murderer. Uh, and they'll go down this list. So according to, the, according to your own words, you're a thief, you're a murderer, you're an adulterer. You still think you're going to heaven. And then they'll show them how they're, they stand condemned under the law. And then they show them how Jesus freed us from that condemnation. It's very, very cool. Here's why it doesn't always work. Because sometimes the first question is, uh, the answer to the first question is no. Do you believe in heaven? Are you interested in spiritual spiritual things? No. Okay. Do you believe in heaven and hell? No. Do you believe in God? No. Well, do you know what Jesus said? And And they continue to go right down the list. And I remember watching this one guy, and he's very patient. He's like, yeah. Okay, so according to the Bible. Well, according to the Bible... I'm an adulterer, and I'm a, I'm a murderer, but I don't believe the Bible. <laughs> and he keep saying that. It's like, yeah, you're making this great case, but it means nothing to me because I don't recognize the authority of the Bible. What's Paul saying? You use a different approach depending on a person's background. If, if God's calling you to minister to somebody, you've got to find out where they are at and speak into their world. All right? It's not a one-size-fits-all. And Paul is, was very, very capable. He was very able to do that, you know, When when we get into, well, we've already seen it, the things that he has written to Jewish Christians, the things he's written to Gentile Christians, when we get into the book of Hebrews, I'm going to spend a little time telling you why I think Paul wrote Hebrews, because we don't know for sure. But the language in there, he is using a completely different approach in Hebrews than certainly than we're seeing here in Corinthians. He's speaking into two different worlds. When we saw in Acts, do you remember when he's taking on the philosophers there in the marketplace? He starts quoting their own poets to them. He refers to things that are right there in their world. He doesn't start with the law. He starts with where he is, depending on his audience. Paul was a master at that, and we can all be better at it. But again, what's the goal? So that he can just get better to, to know them, so that, can, so that he can embrace them and find common ground? No. I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Save them from what? Save him from hell. Save him from false doctrine, false beliefs. There is truth and there's lies. And Paul's saying, I'm going to save some because what I have is the life-saving, life-changing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, uh, let's just wrap it up with these last few verses. Beginning in verse 24, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable uh, perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. That's kind of a scary verse. You're thinking, this is Paul. The Apostle Paul talking about what he's doing to preach the gospel. And we know what he's already accomplished in his ministry. We know some of it. He's been all, uh, already a crazy number of miles and preached to a crazy number of people and preached the gospel and been, and been persecuted. And he's worried about being disqualified? Is he worried about going to hell? You know, some commentators believe that's what he's talking about. And I want to, I'm just banging my head. How can they think that's what Paul's talking about after they read Romans? Paul, more than anybody else, makes the case that it's not our works that are going to save us. Paul is not talking about disciplining his body, bringing it under subjection because he's afraid of going to hell. When he talks about being being disqualified, he's talking about being disqualified from ministry. He's talking about losing not his salvation, but his crown. We've talked about this before, haven't we? Heaven is going to be great. Heaven is certainly better than hell. But heaven isn't going to be the same for everybody. That wouldn't be right, would it? We are going to be rewarded for what we do. The reward isn't heaven slash hell. It's not that binary. Heaven is ours because of what Jesus did. But also what Jesus did, because he rose, we have new life. Because he died, we have, we have forgiveness. Because he rose, we have new life. Because he ascended, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the gift, and we have the callings to do everything that he's called us to do. And we're going to be judged by whether or not, against whether or not, we did those things. And Paul's saying, I'm going to make sure that I don't do anything to disqualify myself from doing the things God has called me to do. But what that means is, I discipline my body. I'm not going to give in to temptation. I'm not going to give in to every desire, even if, there's, even if it's not particularly sin. I love the, the uh, athletic picture here because I'm such an athlete myself. I relate to this. <laughs> now, what he's saying is, uh, an athlete will deprive himself, somebody who's training for the games, the Olympics, they're going to deprive themselves of certain things, not because they're sinful, not because they're flat-out poison, but because eating and drinking certain things is going to make them a less effective athlete. You know, uh, even, even things like uh, bodybuilders, you know, they go through a, a, a phase before competition where they, where they have to cut and it's a, they look really good, but they're very unhealthy at that point because they're dehydrated, they're malnourished, but they're getting every last ounce of water and fat out of them so that you can see every line and ripple of muscle. And there's, I don't know if anybody ever saw the documentary Pumping Iron with Schwarzenegger, anybody watch that? There's this great scene where they're all, in there, and they're all miserable, waiting, building up to this competition, and Arnie comes in eating a big old piece of pizza. Remember that, just eating it in front of their faces because he knows he can get away with that and still beat them all in competition, but it, may, it just kind of shakes them all up, his confidence. Paul's saying, look, I'm going to discipline my body. Uh, if, if these athletes can deny themselves such legitimate pleasures just for the sake of winning the gold medal, how much more should we be willing to cause bring our bodies into subjection for something that is going to last forever? Are we willing to forego a little, are we really going to stand on principle and say, nobody can tell me I can't eat this, drink this, do this, watch this, wear this, say this, because I'm free in Christ. Is that really the main issue here? No, it shouldn't be. It should be, I'm going to stand before God someday, not just for what laws uh, I broke or didn't break, but for the influence I had on the people around me. How did my love walk cause others to turn to Christ or turn away from Christ? How did my love walk or lack of it cause Christians to turn away from me or from the gospel? Let alone, how much did it bring the lost uh, into, into right relationship with God? Praise and worship team, come up here as I wrap this up. This is what we're aiming for. These are two connected things that cannot be separated if we're going to do this right. We do have to look after ourselves when it comes to sin, when it comes to walking out the righteousness, which, remember, is a gift from God. We've got to make daily decisions, sometimes hourly decisions, sometimes decision minutes, decisions minute by minute. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to put this before my eyes. I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm not going to react this way because I am determined to allow the Spirit of God to live through me. Because I want to be able to stand before God having lived a life where I put him first for my own sake. Also, though, there's the love walk. If I am dedicated to living like Jesus lived, that means I'm pouring my life out for you. I'm pouring my life out for you. We need to be pouring our lives into one another. And that means the things that I'm doing aren't just about whether I'm going to have to answer to God for what I thought about, what I watched on TV, what I did, or what I said, but how did it affect somebody else? Am I going to, again, stand on my rights to the point of offending you if it's going to cause you to be offended at Christ? Or am I going to lay my rights down to build a bridge? Am I going to lay, you know, like taking your coat off and throwing it over a puddle, anything I can do to make it easier for you to take a step toward Christ, I need to be willing to do because I'm going to have to answer for that too. It's the love walk. And it's, and it's not, it's still a glorious, joyful thing. It's a life that's filled with purpose. Stand up with me. As every believer in here knows, if you've tried to walk this out, you have experienced difficulty, you've experienced challenges, you've experienced temptations, but you have experienced blessings. You've experienced the pleasure of God in ways that you couldn't imagine. Haven't you? It is a rewarding life. And I'm talking it's rewarding here and now. It's fulfilling. But it doesn't mean by saying, oh, God promises the abundant life. Jesus himself said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's good news. But that doesn't mean that he's, pro- he's not advocating a life of hedonism where we simply uh, gratify ourselves with every pleasure, every opportunity that comes along. That's not the abundant life. That's dissipation. No, abundance is having an overflow, a... Uh, a superfluity of supply for every good thing that comes along. Right? More than enough. More than enough of everything we need. Health, finances, relationship, wholeness, and love from our fellow man. We need each other. That's another thing that Jesus promised, didn't it? You know, we talk about, oh, Jesus promised, uh, or, you know, by he the Lord said through Paul, my God shall supply all your need according to your riches and glory. Yes, he did. Jesus healed them all. So he's promised us uh, provision. He's promised us healing. You know what else he promised? He says, uh, uh, nobody who's given these things up, uh, he says, they will all receive houses and brothers and sisters and more in this life now what's that mean we're all supposed to we're all supposed to have multiple homes vacation homes just says man i can go into any there and maybe you experience this i can experience this i can go into many different towns and i know i have a home what do i mean i can go in there i have friends in many different cities that i know there's a couch there's a bed there's a floor a place for me at their table and he's given us one another brothers and sisters this is a blessing you're a blessing to me I pray, I pray often that God continue, that God makes me a blessing to you. I want to be a blessing to you. But that needs to be your heart to be a blessing to one another. But let's go back a step as I well and truly wrap this up. All of this begins with a decision. The life that God has called you to is a life that only he can offer you. When God calls you to live this life, he's not saying, I want you to do this so that I can declare you righteous. What he says is, I have declared you righteous as long as you believe this. I have purchased forgiveness. I have purchased cleanness, righteousness for you. And I purchased it with the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's don't sugarcoat it. Your sin, no matter how minor it is to you, is offensive and ugly to God. It is unacceptable to God. And there's nothing you can do or I can do to clean ourselves up. God knows that. And it was always true. So he sent Jesus, gave his son to bear the guilt and the sin itself. And he judged all of your sin at the cross. So he says, let's leave that back there. You follow me. Let's consider your old person dead. I'm going to give you a new life. And it's going to be an abundant life. It's going to be well supplied. It's going to be protected. It's going to be healed. It's going to be hard because it's going to be persecuted. But it's going to be rich. And when this part of it's over there's heaven. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Do you need any other motivation to say today, I will follow Christ? Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.